Welcome, Blood Brothers and Sanguine Sisters, to Deeply Discussing Dexter. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Aaron Caldwell. Hello. Brooke Merritt. Oh. And Zach Rowland. Hello. And today we are discussing Season 5, Episode 9, Teenage Wasteland. On this episode, Dexter and Jordan Chase race in place at a punishing pace and wash their face for two straight days. Aster has a plot line. It's unbelievable, but she does. And her dad can beat up your dad. And Jordan Chase calls the cliffhanger hotline. What did you guys think of this episode overall? I thought it was a pretty good episode. I really liked the change of pace of throwing Aster back in there, seeing how the season had kind of forgotten she existed. Uh, and it, it just it brings a lot more... Uh, a lot more tension to the story because now there's another piece on the chessboard for Jordan and, and Dexter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I really like this episode in terms of the story and how it drove the plot and how all the worlds are starting to come together, which we see in Dexter a lot of times uh, about this episode into the season. But I just, th- this is really, really working for me in terms of like how the story's progressing and how the plot's moving along. And uh, yeah, I thought it was overall a really good episode. Yeah, I liked this one too. Um, I liked that we have Aster back, um, a, an increase in the teenage angst uh, as she's gotten a little bit older and gone through all this trauma and the effect it has on her and kind of seeing that evolution. I like that. Um, and we just get get just enough little tidbits of story to keep things propelling forward. So, good episode. Yeah, it's nice that they finally gave Christina Robinson a plot line of her own. <clears throat> That something that like I've been hinting at for a while that she finally gets one, but but only one. Um, there's never another, you know, another time Dexter never catches her with weed or um, something else like that. But we do get this uh, this sort of drunken migration from Orlando to Miami. Um, they try to go and uh, hang out at the old house and uh, run into Lumen and Aster's all decked out uh, trying to look as much as 14 as she can because her friend is much older and uh, she told her friend she was 14 and if she knew she was actually 12 then they probably wouldn't be hanging out at all so which yeah they do a good job of like they i you know they it's pretty convincing that to make her look like she's 14 with the makeup and everything that she's wearing it's like okay yeah you could be tricked easily by that there's a youtuber i watch a lot who uh he's a movie reviewer and uh he's gay and he's made this observation that like he feels really sorry for straight men because girls have a really easy time making it look like they're older if they want to. And so the like room for errors in judgment is, is much what that margin is much wider. Um, it's like, you can't like you put enough makeup on and you can't tell like it adds four or five years sometimes. So, well, it, it also could have been one of those things. Like there was a, there was a huge gap in filming because the last time we saw Aster she she also looked a lot taller this time than she did the last time we saw her so there could have been a gap in filming 
I, yeah, I don't know if I noticed her being taller. Um, she's just she's just all uh, all decked out as the as the gothy as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is one thing this episode does really highlight is what a shame it was how much they wasted her because they could have done so much more with that character. She had the talent to carry it and to do so much more on top of that. And they really just kind of, at least they gave her this, but ha having kept her around a little bit longer and done more with her, I think really would have, would have had a payoff to this story. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the, like from a writing standpoint, I think one of their biggest issues was that Aster and Cody are always a package deal. There's no, you don't really see one without the other all that frequently. And so this, this situation made sense where she would be, you know, away from Cody um, doing something else. But other times on the show, it's like Cody's really like only uh, personality trait is that he loves everything Dexter does. And so <laughs> that, that doesn't translate that into a good dynamic. Yeah. Like just him always being excited about that well and it was boring to watch when uh last season when dexter and aster started having their falling outs over him throwing her in the pool and saying things like no one would think you're that old or you know no one's gonna notice you at school um all of <laughs> the great teenage girl parenting <laughs> yeah no one will notice you well, it starts with Dexter running on a treadmill next to Jordan Chase. He wanted to look inside Jordan's office, but Jordan is giving him something like a private session. Chase confesses that he stole his philosophy from Plato. Dexter sees a necklace with what looks like a vial of blood. He makes an appointment to come back the next day. Dexter calls Lumen and says he's planning to get a sample of the blood the next day. Someone is trying to get into Dexter's house. Dexter tells Lumen to hide. The intruders turn out to be Aster and her friend Olivia. This was a really good scene. Like, it, it was very tense. Like, I had no idea who was going to come through that door the first time I watched this episode. Yeah. Uh, Dexter confronts the girls. They stole alcohol from Olivia's parents' house. Astra told her she was 14 rather than 12. They took a bus to get to Miami and a taxi to the house. The girls are drunk. Lumen helps them get to bed. Harry shows up to remind Dexter he got Astor's mom killed and needs her to go far away to keep up his murder plan for Jordan Chase. That's kind of funny because it's almost like, why didn't they just take an Uber? And then I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> Uber wasn't around. <laughs> so, an Uber guess... from Orlando to Miami would be a very expensive trip. Oh no, I get that. So I was in an Uber the other night and a guy told me that he took a fare from Los Angeles to uh, just west of Portland, Oregon. Oh my god. Oh, wow. Yeah. Seriously, he was like, yeah, he's like I, I he was like I really didn't have anything else to do and the person was willing to pay for it. It was like uh it was a $2500 trip total. And it's like, like six that's like, like 16 hours. Fly. Yeah. Buy a plane yes. ticket. So take so a they bus. went they drove and took a couple of stops along the way, and then the <laughs> driver 
stayed the night at this person because the the guy who was going was going to see his father his father was dying and so like he had to get up there or whatever and he just chose to take an uber it's crazy and so then like the, the driver <laughs> stayed the night at a stranger's house and then the next day it brought him back to los angeles and it was like this is the insane. kind of thing yeah wow that's the kind of thing that like somebody would write into a movie and no one would believe that that could actually happen yeah like, right, that's an entire script right there. <laughs> no one would do that. I was I was just like, seriously, dude? And he's like, yeah, they wouldn't pay me the money. Uber had to call me and ask me if it was for real or they like thought there was a glitch in the system. And he was like, so he ended up getting like $2,100 out of the twenty five because Uber has to take their cut or whatever. Yeah. But it was that was insane. I was like, that's, uh, uh yeah. Yeah, I thought it was insane on The Good Doctor when they made their Uber driver take them to like 10 different stops. And then they ended up driving to someplace really far away to try and track somebody down. Um, but Los Angeles to Oregon, that's, that's mental. Like Mm -hmm. that's hard to even do in a day. Yeah, I know. I was like, man, did you guys, how many times did you stop? He's like, Oh, a couple of times. Jesus. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) Hmm. And then after no sleep, having to drive all the way back because there's no way you're sleeping in a stranger's house. Like, you're just laying there. He said he, he slept fine. I mean, he was, like, such a chill dude. He was, like, an older <laughs> Hispanic guy. Have to be. I mean, seriously, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Seriously, somebody needs to write that script. If it's my time to go, it's my time. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to end up ahead on someone's on someone's wall? Because this is how you end up as a head on someone's wall. <laughs> uh, Deb is worried about getting her job back. Quinn says not to worry about it, that everything will be fine. He calls her. He calls himself her boyfriend. Deb gives him shit about it and leaves. Liddy calls to tell Quinn about the pictures of Dexter and Lumen dumping the body. Liddy pretends to shoot a kid with his finger gun for no reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> like... Do you remember what I'm talking about? He's such a dick. <laughs> he, he gets off the. He's on like a payphone inside of like a bodega or, or something, like a convenience store. And he gets off the phone, and this kid's like been watching him the whole time, and he just like points his finger like it's a gun and goes. And the kid like runs away. Yeah. He's just a creepy old guy. <laughs> just... Um. Dexter asks Lumen for advice on dealing with Aster. Lumen says the hangover will be punishment enough. Aster agrees to spend the day with Dexter after his appointment, so long as Harrison can come too. But then Harrison calls Lumen Mama, and Aster tells Dexter that if he had died, Rita wouldn't have gotten a tenant so fast. Dexter leaves Harrison and the girls with Lumen. So Deb is being benched until the investigation is over. Angel says he backed her story, but LaGuerta didn't. Deb passes Manzone and says, if anyone needs a real fucking detective, I'll be in the file room. Which, by the way, is the last time that Manzone has ever seen on Dexter. This, this... Bye-bye. This didn't make <laughs> any sense. Like, there's no way that Angel backed her story because there would have had to have been one solid story or there'd be a huge investigation. <laughs> one solid story? Like, yeah, like... They would have had to be on the same page. If there was any inconsistency in the story, there would have been an investigation. But oh, they wouldn't have both given statements, though. It yeah. had been LaGuardia's report that was 
that was read, and she would have had the reports from her subordinates, but she wouldn't have met, mm-hmm. always passed on. Like, I mean, like you think she tells the brass what Deb <laughs> thinks in disagreement with her? Like, no, <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. Uh, so yeah, man's own. We didn't know you. T- we didn't know you so well. So do we change it from the Chicky Hines Memorial or <laughs> to the Man's Own? Well, Chicky Hines Memorial is is particularly great because, despite us knowing a lot about Chicky Hines, he yeah. never appeared on screen. True. They, they never I cast. He gets Chicky. the edge on that one. Yeah. Uh, Deb checks checks in with the sassy file lady where she's been assigned. They catch up about Quinn and how people that file file rather than read files. Dexter and Jordan are in the locker room after another running session. Dexter snags a sample out of Jordan's vial while Jordan is in the shower. Chase realizes that Dexter was in his locker and finds a drop of blood somehow on the vial. Sloppy. Sloppy work, Dexter. You gotta, come on, be better. You know how to do this shit. There shouldn't be any Think, if he hadn't been sloppy, there would be no story to go. Yeah. But there, there should have been no liquid blood at all. Yeah, it was a syringe, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Because that blood would have had to have stayed uh, liquidy for a long time. Yeah. And right? It, yeah. Well, and it's <laughs> it's red. I mean, it, it, it's like a fairy tale version of blood. It right. has yeah. nothing to do with reality. Like, it's bright red and oxygenated and liquid. <laughs> and, like, it would just be like, it would look like he had uh, uh, a vial full of like rust because it'd be right. all dried out and brown and but hey it's not as cool as keeping a vial of someone's blood around your neck um, it was picking at flakes it wouldn't have been quite so <laughs> impressive on film <laughs> uh, so Deb realizes by reading the files that there were multiple DNA reports for the barrel girls she figures out that Cole Harmon, a.k.a. Suitman, was just as involved as Boyd, who they pinned it on. Angel draws the short straw and has to tell LaGuerta that they have to reopen the case. Uh, Masuka has a quick conversation with Dexter where he asks how old Aster's friend is, and Dexter says, like, that's completely gross or something, and... The words just kidding are said by Masuka, but he's not in frame when those words are said. So I think that they decided at the last minute that they weren't going to make Masuka a pedophile and just added that, that disclaimer on there. I didn't make it less less weird. No, it's still he still came across really pedophile. pedophile. I can't talk. So. Yeah, his his uh, his actions just ebb and flow all the time. <laughs> it's like they just can't ever stick to a point of view with this guy. I mean, this point of view is just gross and creepy, but then like they add these other layers onto it. And you're just like he could have just not said anything, like or or just cut that scene. I don't know. It's just not. It's yeah. Yeah, and they forget the whole. Well, they needed something for CS Lee to do in this episode. I mean, yeah. they're paying him for the season, so. Uh, out of all of his creepy, off-putting things, this one might be the one that really takes the cake. Yeah. 
But he said just kidding, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that I made it like, all okay. Well, and <laughs> Pedophile jokes, funny. <laughs> he said some really horrific shit and not said just kidding afterwards. So mm-hmm. I feel like that. Yeah, but was it about a, a 12-year... She wasn't 12. Yeah, 12-year-old girl's friends. Yeah, well... And he did ask how old. Yeah, yeah. Like a gentleman. But he knows how old Aster is. <laughs> she could have right, like, devil's tricked, advocate over there. She could yeah. have tricked a, a 18-year-old into hanging out with her. I don't know. Zach is accusing me of playing devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't you don't need for excuses. We all know what we heard. <laughs> Dude. Right. <laughs> He, he, he just, was he, he was trying to make none friends. of you would have had that thought none of you would have been like oh how old's this 12 year old's friend no I, I don't think you guys would I hope not Masuka <clears throat> Masuka was just trying to make friends and I like on this show when when there's friendship going <laughs> yeah. on so. don't you steal my bit <laughs> <laughs> when have Zach and Dale had a uh, invasion of the body snatchers or freaky Friday <laughs> moment happen I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Every single D- Disney movie is amazing. Um, <laughs> Lumen calls. The girls weren't at the house when she returned from the store, but their phones were still in the house and the door was left open. Dexter rushes to the house. The nosy neighbor is there with a description of a man with a panel van and a partial plate. Dexter calls the police to report the possible abduction. Miami Metro asks Dexter where he was when the girls went missing, and he tells them about his session with Jordan Chase. Deb slips to LaGuerta about the Barrel Girls case maybe not being closed. They catch the suspect with the van, but it turns out to be Aster's friend Olivia's mom's boyfriend. Which makes sense. follow that. Nothing at all. That's a, yeah. Uh, he used her cell phone to come looking for her after the girls broke into the liquor cabinet at his house. The girls were arrested for shoplifting at a local market, so they've been found as well. Uh, LaGuerta thinks that Deb trumped up the additional barrel girl suspects to get back at her. Angel disagrees unemphatically. Uh, Lumen and Deb meet. Deb has trouble believing that she's just a tenant. She asks a series of questions about where her stuff is and how well he knows her, um, that he somehow knows her well enough to trust her with Harrison. And it's almost like Deb is a detective. Uh, Deb says that she understands the rebound more than anyone, but Dexter still denies that he and Lumen are dating. Like, they, they seem really hung up on this with all the stuff going on, including kids being missing. They really seem hung up on this this one thing. Yeah. Well, if Cody was there, we know what he would say to Dexter, especially that he ruined it's everything. All... Yeah. No, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> Gosh, Dale, I was, you do it the best. I was hoping you'd nail it. <laughs> I season, knew where you were going with it. Season one, disappointed Cody. that wasn't picked up. <laughs> it's all your fault. Uh. There it is. Yeah, I guess I have to specify if it's season one, Cody, or not, because <laughs> yeah. that makes a big difference. True, true, true. Um, so, yeah. Um, Dexter confronts Aster. It doesn't go well. Luma is talking to Olivia and sees bruises on her belly. Luma tells Dexter and Aster. It turns out that the mom's boyfriend has been abusing Olivia. Aster brought them there to get away from him. 
Deb goes to confront LaGuerta after Angel says the case isn't going to be reopened. Deb appeals to LaGuerta's conscience and convinces her to reopen the case. LaGuerta reveals that she's suspended Quinn to protect Dexter. I gotta say, LaGuerta's just all over the map this season. I mean, just everything with the with the undercover sting stuff and the like you know backing up baptista and then the case stuff i mean it's just like usually i feel like we get somewhat of a consistency with her like she has a solid through line or point of view but this one is just like back and forth back and forth you know one of the things that i think is hilarious is that they spend so much time on the drama and conflict between angel and laguerta like while even like before they're married, while they're married, all of that stuff. And we find out through dialogue that Angel is now sleeping on the couch. And they didn't decide to like write a scene about how that came to be, like what their argument really is. So it's really odd to me that like they always have LaGuerta and Angel arguing at the office nowhere else. There's no other, like, uh, aspects of their relationship that are ever shown. It's just the, it's just what their work life is like. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's almost a little too jarring sometimes because you're like, that's, well, it's a lot because they have to spend so much time together constantly. It was almost nice to see when, like, Batista would go out and have drinks with his buddies. But then, of course, that's what got him in trouble in the first place. But, yeah, it's just like they're they're constantly... They can't develop as people or characters because they're constantly going at it with one another at work and we never see anything else outside of it. Well, you know, in the the earlier seasons, Angel... LaGuerta didn't show up near as much... Um, she would be in the background or something. She'd pop up and say something here and there, but mostly when something would happen, Angel was the character that would go and talk to the higher-ups about what was going on. And now everybody just goes straight to LaGuerta. It's almost like this this storyline is trying to keep Angel in the loop. it's yeah, like that's they, true. they have nothing for him, so he's mm. just LaGuerta's husband. That really is true, because he has nothing else going on. Yeah, because earlier in the episode, they were like, oh, I'm going to tell him, uh, I'll tell her about the Barrel Girl case being open. And then Deb does that anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. It's weird. They're just trying to give him something to do. Well, and that's, and that's my point, is that they're trying to give him something to do, but they're missing the obvious. Like, why can't we see the argument that ends with Angel sleeping on the couch? You know? And and come back to that a couple of times. We're like, oh, it's a week later and he's still doing that. You know? Those are scenes yeah, they the could have at the same time, look how much we complain when they do show those kind of scenes. Like, of them drinking, <laughs> you know, tequila and slushies. And we're still bitching about it. Yeah. So... To be fair, yeah, I'm it not is like a big, turning pro linguista. I'm just saying right, it's, right. <laughs> it's weird to no, learn we, things about their gap. relationship that happened off screen. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. <laughs> not at all now. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. <laughs> uh, Deb asks Quinn what really happened with his suspension. Quinn admits it was. To, uh, he admits he was trying to find out if Dexter was Kyle Butler. 
He said nothing came of it, so he dropped it. Deb leaves. Dexter shows up alone to confront Olivia's abuser. Dexter punches him multiple times, explaining how each punch causes different kinds of pain. He tells him to call Olivia's mom and call her fat and ugly and make sure that she'll never take him back. A great scene. I gotta say. I love this scene. So great. It was. It was an excellent scene. One of my favorites. And it's, it's the sort of thing that, you know, they could do more of if they decided to have the kids involved. Where Dexter is just like... Like, ninja father. Um, <laughs> like this. Where, like, he's not, you know... They don't meet the code. He's not going to kill the person. But he can mess him up and get him in trouble with the police and all kinds of things. So... There's, yeah. there's potential there. Yeah, I mean, this is the second time they've done it. They did it once with that uh, dude that was taking pictures of Aston. Yeah. So it, it definitely could have been a lot more. Uh, Harry is proud of Dexter for protecting Aster. He says if he never knew that Dexter had it in him to put himself out there for someone else. If Harry had seen that, maybe he wouldn't have led Dexter down the path of the code. Um... And my note here was, anyone remember Deb? Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to say because, I mean, obviously season one, like, he went after Brian because he had his sister. Like, you know, obviously there's there's the competition and the vendetta. But, like, yeah, he had Deb. And, like, we always know, we, we knew since season one that Dexter loves and cares about Deb and would do anything for her to the to the end. So it is kind of a weird statement. I mean, Harry died when he was still young so like he maybe didn't show that side of himself so much to harry but he obviously he obviously cares about deb and will protect deb no matter what um and that was obviously true with rita as well and it's weird that like you know harry gave him shit for marrying rita and having a kid but then he's like, you know, man, you really beat up that guy well. <laughs> that was bothering Aster. That was a that was a good job. It's also weird because Harry is, you know, depending on how you choose to look at it, Harry is Dexter's conscience. He's part of Dexter's mind, and so it's weird for part for the part of Dexter's mind that always puts him on guilt trips and always reminds him about the code. To suddenly like be proud of him for basically <laughs> committing a crime, <laughs> um, like he he committed assault instead of murder to help someone he cared about, and and the proudness the the pride is about him caring about Aster enough to do that. Like man, Dexter will kick somebody's ass for less than that. <laughs> Like, ask Dokes. Oh, wait. <laughs> no, can't ask him. Uh, lamp geek my ass. Um, oh, Dokes. Uh, Quinn finds Liddy in Quinn's apartment. Liddy shows Quinn the pictures of Dexter and Lumen. Quinn gives Liddy some more money and tells him to back off the case. Liddy isn't going to. Quinn gives him a, uh, gets him into a stranglehold and tells him to stay away from him and Deb. Liddy winks and nods and leaves. No finger guns? No finger guns. That's too dangerous with Quinn. 
True. You get into pulling on him. You get into a finger shootout with Quinn. Oh, reopening of the barrel case leads LaGuerta to go and talk to Angel again and ask if that has improved their situation. And he says, we still have a long way to go between the couch and the bedroom, Maria. (sighs) Passive-aggressive Batista. (laughs) Like, we always wanted him to stick up for himself. But not like this. <laughs> not like this. Dude, not like this. Uh, Quinn tries to apologize to Deb, but Deb says he was fucking her and spreading shit about Dexter behind her back. He leaves defeated. Dexter drops Olivia off at her house in Orlando. She and Dexter, uh, or she tells Dexter and asks her that the boyfriend told her mom she has a fat ass and won't be back. She thanks Dexter and asks her. Dexter keeps Aster's lost weekend a secret from her grandparents. He gives her a similar speech of being proud of her for putting herself out there for a friend in the same way that Harry did to him. Aster says that she needs to know if Lumen is Dexter's girlfriend. He tells her that Lumen needs help getting through something too and is not his girlfriend. I mean, he's not, he's not lying to her the whole episode. She keeps thinking it and it's like... There's, you know, of course there's always foreshadowing and stuff, but there's really nothing that signifies the fact it's weird, but there's nothing there, you know? Well, I'll go, I'll go as far as to say that um, if you are captured and held and gang raped and you're hanging out with a guy who is helping you get revenge on the people that did that to you, there's really no way that that's going to turn into a romantic relationship a sexual relationship it just doesn't make any sense exactly what i was thinking yeah i was like that's yeah he can't tell them that he can't say like (laughs) yeah she spent like a week getting raped by a bunch of guys and uh (laughs) so she's she's not getting together with anyone right now and as a teenager, you're not going to believe him. I mean, to a teenager, that's a completely foreign concept, really, to have that kind of a situation. I mean, even as an adult, it would seem suspicious. You've got this woman living in your house, which is why Deb is suspicious. And then for a kid her age, she's really not going to believe him that there's nothing to it. Well, on the on the outside looking in, her, her and Rita look similar, too, so... Got a type in Definitely. her mind. Yeah. Yeah. He just traded in for a younger model. I don't know. Slightly less, <laughs> more damaged. <laughs> yeah, know. they were like they, they're they, both they pretty share, damaged. They share a similar origin story. Yeah, Rita's mom was pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Dexter tells Astro he loves her. Astro says he should come in and say hi to Cody, even though it will blow her cover about Miami. Harrison throws his toy again and says, "Mama." Astra figures out that it's the toy, not the person he's calling Mama. Harrison is totally screwed. <laughs> he's totally, totally screwed. Um, all that loom and all from back when Dexter took him to the thing. It's got him all yeah. confused. Yeah, Permanent yeah. damage. Uh, Dexter gets the blood results back from the vial. The blood is from a living person who lives in Coral Gables. And Jordan Chase calls the house looking for Dexter. Lumen answers. He asks if he can leave a message, but figures out who he's talking to and says, take care, Lumen. Cliffhanger episode ending. Yes. 
That was Boom. so good. I, like he he does the tick tick tick. That's the sound of Dexter's life. Uh, and and then he he just says, "You got that, Lumen?" Or take care, Lumen. It's so good. I was like, "Oh dear God, he knows." Yeah, it was great. It's weird to me that he doesn't already know about Lumen with his or he does know about Lumen, but it's weird that he hasn't been following Dexter or had someone following Dexter up until this point. Like Quinn has someone following Dexter that knows about all this stuff, but Jordan Chase doesn't. I guess because Suit Man is nowhere to be found, and that's who he would give that job to. Yeah, he needs a new Suit Man. <laughs> this episode was directed by Ernest Dickerson, a very frequent uh, director. Nine episodes total between seasons three and eight. It was written by Lauren Gussis. Uh, this is her only episode in season five. So, uh, what is your choice for best line of the episode? My favorite line of the episode is it's actually more than one line, but it starts with a uh, let me show you and then he proceeds to beat the shit out of that dude and explain <laughs> what he's doing to him with every hit that whole sequence was actually my best line too uh, particularly <laughs> at the end when he kicks him and says oh and that's your kidney yeah that was that scene was it for me same yeah. i i thought it was great when astro said who the fuck is she <laughs> <laughs> Just such a great moment. Wasn't there like a triple triple cut there? Like, mm-hmm. who the fuck are you? Who the fuck is she? Who the fuck is this? Yeah. Uh, how about the worst line of the episode? How old's the friend? Same. Just, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, just that whole Masuka thing, the STD panel. I mean, it's just the whole, yeah, the friend. And stop. Stop, Vince. <laughs> the, how about the Chicky Hines memorial performance of the episode? Gotta be. Yeah, you can't, like, as, as awesome as Julia Stiles did, you kind of got to give this to Aster, because... Yeah, this is this is her her moment. It will never happen again. Yeah, <laughs> right. She will never be the best thing of an episode ever again. Right. I think we we gave it to her the last time we saw her um, because she did have a great performance then, and so deserving of a, of a final goodbye. <laughs> Aster, what a great performance! Well, that is it. Thank you for uh, listening. Thanks you guys for helping me record the podcast. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Dexter.